Coast Church, Charlotte. A part of the church is actually not. Church is an aid to spiritual connection. And so I want to encourage all of you not just to be an observer, so to speak, of church. Um, when we come together and you know us, but we don't know you, uh, we have to know and be known or we don't feel like family. And so if you feel like our church kind of bends over backward, to try, we do, we do. We, we try to bend over backward. Um, we'll have uh, almost all our pastoral team will stop by First Steps Room just to introduce themselves. We want to get to know you so we can become the body of Christ. Remember, church is just an aid to becoming the body of Christ. All right, enough about that. Praise the Lord, somebody. I feel like there's something else I should mention. Um, I want to, uh, one other little point here I thought I would, I thought I would mention that you may, you might be interested to know. Uh, sometime either next week or the week uh, after that, we're actually going to start taking up offering again, not because you aren't giving. I know a lot of churches do it because they're, uh, I know a lot of churches, their offerings went down when they stopped taking it. Uh, we have not had that problem. You guys have not stopped giving. The problem is on our end, and the problem is this. We've never lost so many che checks and envelopes as uh, when we just left them back there. And we've had a good number of people and they, they're 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 like what what happened to this check and we're like we don't know we we don't know and it's it's embarrassing do you see and so we're going back to uh, passing it uh, so we don't have the problem of losing these checks and whatnot. So uh, that will happen in the next couple weeks or so. All right. My subject today is a play off of how we start races, which if you have never been in a race yourself, just listen to any group of children play. And as they have some type of a game, you will hear them say this, ready, set, and go. All right, try it with me. Ready, set, go. All right, so that's how uh, we start things. But in the kingdom of God, uh, actually, it's a different sequence of how to start running a spiritual race. It's not ready, set, go. It is wait, trust, go. Yes. The starter pistol uh, is fired, and we come off our race blocks and run this Christian uh, race. We run this call of Christian purpose that that ready, set, go for us is wait, trust, and now go. I want to show you this in the scripture. I am reading from Joshua chapter number one, verse number one, after the death of, death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, go over this Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I am giving you. The River Jordan in the scripture is very symbolic. Of course, it is a natural river, but it is very symbolic of spiritual transition. 
I want you to understand in your life how the seasons and the times can change and how you can go from one season of a certain place, a certain call, a certain anointing even, and then there is a transition in the spirit. I want to say it like this. Uh, You can sometimes struggle with a certain circumstance or a certain context, but a day comes when you realize that God has taken you over that struggle. You've now put that behind you. Let me just real quick involve all of you by saying this. How many of you, looking back at the years you've served God, you see seasons and you also see how God, at his time and in his will, moved you past a certain season of your life and you stepped into a whole new realm of spiritual mission and calling? Do I have any witnesses in the house here today? These transitions uh, are important because they usually represent us stepping away from what we have known and what we have grown comfortable with into a new place, a new style, a new career, a new education, a new uh, perhaps season of your life. Big transitions are just thinking in terms of the human experience when you graduate from high school. That is a a really big uh, transition in your life. Um, I I just want to remind all of you that all of our kids who are having their bold Sunday today next door door, and they're talking about their lives and they're doing uh, direct applied circumstances, they all will have the first big transition that will try them and test them to their limit when they finish up with their high school and they move into that collegiate transition. We need to pray for them. We need to be patient with them. We need to be long-suffering with them. Can I have a big first church? Amen. We need to speak faith over them. Don't, don't ever let yourself just be a critic. If you feel critical emotion or thought, make sure you don't end on criticism. You always turn that into faith, where you never leave someone with the sense of they are not enough, but you leave them with a sense that through God, all things are possible. One of the things we do in our desire to see people become spiritually, which we desire that, as they step into a new realm, as it were, of spiritual maturity, and we want to see certain sequences of growth in their life, very few of them immediately find success at transition. Even in the Word of God, you will find a new day that is brought into an individual's life, and you will find them kind of wrestling with finding their place. We, having received the grace of God, are administrators of the grace of God. I believe it was Peter who said, we become administrators of the grace of God. That means I'm never going to leave someone simply with a negative review. I'm always going to add a statement of faith to it, because although I am not enough and they are not enough, with God... I said, with God, am I preaching any apostolics here today? With God, all things are possible. 
And so God didn't give up on us when we stumbled at our first entry to the promised land. And God didn't give up on us when we were afraid of giants in the land. And God didn't give up on us when we grumbled and complained. Oh, am I preaching to the right church here today? God loved us. God gave us chance after chance after chance after chance. And so we administrate the love of God. So I want to be the person who says, look, however bad you've messed up, I've probably done something similar. I'm here to tell you God has a plan for your life. However down you are on yourself, I've been just as down on myself. I want you to know God has a plan for your life. The first rule of public speaking is leave them wanting more. Preachers ignore that rule. Um, we follow a different rule, and it goes like this. Beat that horse till it's nearly dead. <laughs> I, 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 a comedian say, leave them laughing, right? I want to leave people with a sense of faith, the promises of God in their life. And so here, this river, it becomes very important as a boundary marker in the life of the children of Israel and in the Christian church. There is this tremendous inheritance of song, sermon, study, even poetry, reflecting the Jordan River. This is uh, a Welsh hymn written by William Williams. Yes, real name, 1771. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious, anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction lead me safe on Canaan's side. We have this huge inheritance of Jordan as imagery. Samuel Stennett of England, he, he penned these words, in Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. The spiritual sung by generations of uh, believing uh, converted slaves in America. Deep river, my home is over Jordan. Deep river, Lord, I want to cross over into campground. And this one, when I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming forth to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming forth to carry me home. If you don't sing spiritual, how, spirituals, how about some Johnny Cash? My grandmother on my dad's side loved Johnny Cash. She met him one time when she was a young girl and never stopped having a crush on him, I think. When I come to the river at the ending of the day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Won't have to cross Jordan alone. We have this tremendous inheritance of the River Jordan as a symbol, as spiritual symbolism. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. And on and on and on and on. Stepped in the river. The water was cold. Shield my body, but not my soul. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? This idea that I'm leaving behind a season of my life, it's been painful. Does anybody have any Jordans they want to cross here today? 
There's some seasons, some things you've lived through recently. You're just over it. You are done with it. You are ready to start a different season of your life. It might be a struggle you've wrestled with over and over and over, and you're ready not simply to have the strength to resist. You want transformation. So what the things you used to be tempted by are no longer desirable in your life. I don't want just to cope with it. I want to be transformed by the power of God. Lord, let it happen right here at First Church, we pray. Every person in this house, let us be transformed by the power of God. We rebuke the way of doubt. We turn away from the way of fear. We resist the errors of the wilderness, and we say, take our hand, Lord Jesus. Lead us to a promised land. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Moses has a time, and his time has passed. He is taken away to be with the Lord, and he was powerful in his time. He represented a great spiritual purpose and unction. Uh, in fact, if you know anything about the story of the passing of Moses, you know, unlike any other person in the Old Testament, uh, Satan contended with the angel of the Lord for the body of Moses. Think about that. Satan wanted the body of Moses, and he contended with the angel of the Lord for the body of Moses, but um, uh, he has to at some point learn that uh, he is a defeat. defeat defeated foe. Uh, he took his shot and he missed. And uh, God is on the throne. Somebody say it with me. God is on the throne. So the devil can cause trouble, but he cannot win. I want to talk to somebody here for a moment. The devil's been causing trouble in your life. He can cause trouble. That's what he's good at, but he cannot win. So I speak the name of Jesus. I said, I speak the name of Jesus. Satan, you have a good marketing department. Satan, you can run around and lie and threaten. You can huff and you can puff. But at the end of the day, you cannot win. Jesus has overcome. And so a moment of transition has, has arrived. And the Lord said, all right, Moses, uh, he represented something. The time has changed. You're going to have to do it different. All ministry reflects the change of the context in which it is given. The judges led differently than the kings. The kings led differently than the prophets. The prophets reached their maximum influence and could not change the heart of the people. John the Baptist had a different ministry than the prophets. Jesus had a different ministry than John the Baptist, but he fulfilled our need for a perfect sacrifice, a lamb of God for sinners slain. And so here come the story of the apostles. And so now you have Peter, he does it one way. And you have Paul, he does it another way. Barnabas is really good in certain part of the country. Uh, Peter is good in a certain group of people, but no one can go like Paul to new lands where they don't even have an inheritance of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul does it differently, but not everybody likes Paul. And so some people say, oh, well, I'm of Barnabas and I'm of Paul. And someone else says, 
oh, I'm of, uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Apollos. I had a mental block, but I had Don there to save me. So blessings upon Don. Uh, may he have many grandchildren. See how I did that? Many grandchildren. And so I, I <laughs> and if y'all don't want them, give them to me. I'll take them all. I love, I love little people. Anyway, so the point being, what was I preaching about? Oh, <laughs> Apollos, I'm of Apollos, and Paul says, this is ridiculous. God will do it differently with this person and their set of gifts. I don't preach like everybody else. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Other people preach differently than me. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. In our early morning prayer, which we've been having Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, you get text about that. We have different people lead in prayer. You listen to Sister Venice lead. She prays differently than I do. She's powerful. She's more powerful than I am. See, she when it's getting dead, I have her pray. Uh, Sister Bridget prays differently than I do. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, Brother Paul prays uh, differently than I do. It's not wrong. It's not a bug. It is a feature, as the tech kind of people say. This is what I want to say. Moses had his place. The purpose doesn't change, but the method we accomplish the purpose must change. And if you cannot understand that, you have read a lot of Bible, but you haven't understood it. (laughs) Secondly, you've known a lot of people but you don't understand how people do things. So this is what I want you to see. When you stand at the Jordan River, God speaks to you, and he says, this season has come to an end. It's time to cross over. So how does this happen? How does this happen? Now, in our world, we think, all right, time to get busy. That's how we think. We think, time to get busy, time to get busy. We look at each other. We say, ready, set, go. Get busy, move fast. But in God's kingdom, you will notice that spiritual becoming is not quite expressed by ready, set, go. Spiritual becoming always has this element of waiting upon the Lord. So the first thing they do after God says it's time, are you ready for this, is they wait three days. You can read the story in this first part of the book of Joshua. I'm going to move through it fairly quickly. But the first thing they do is they wait three days. There is a a time of spiritual calling where we have to prepare ourselves. It won't help anybody if we show up as part of the problem. We have to show up as part of the solution. Can I get a better amen from this side over here? We, we, we have to show up as part of the solution. We can't show up as part of the problem. And the Lord oftentimes will slow us down. In fact, some of the biggest mistakes I have seen uh, in spiritually zealous people is not their zeal, but their inability to wait upon the Lord. And so they end up in states of frustration and setback that they would never had have had to face if they could have simply learned how to wait upon the Lord. The first lesson, are you ready for this? The first lesson of let's go is let's wait. It goes against everything we think we know about getting things done. Because remember, accomplishments of the spiritual are different than accomplishments of the flesh. And so the first thing they do is they spend three days waiting. But watch this. They do not waste their waiting. They do not waste their waiting. What's going on in your life where you feel like God has you waiting? Anybody feel like the Lord has them in the waiting room? Go ahead and raise your hand. I got to get you used to this. I, 
I want to tell you, I'm in the waiting room on some areas. In fact, I feel like on more areas than not, I'm in the waiting room. Is it just me? I know it's not. I feel like y'all are in the waiting room over here. Okay, thank you. I appreciate you just working with me there. In these areas, we're, we're in the waiting room. I don't want to be in the waiting room. Here's the question. What do you do in the waiting rooms of your life? He told them to wait three days, but they're not going to waste the wait. What do they do? He has them bring the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people, and they consecrate themselves unto the Lord. That Ark is more important than anything else in the story. Why? It is symbolic of the Shekinah glory of God. Let me say it this way. I can't fix things by myself. I need the power of God working on my life. If I could fix it, it would already be fixed, yes? If I had the answer, it would already be settled, yes? But I need God, and so I will not waste my weight. I will turn my attention where? Not just anywhere, toward the presence of God. I will seek, watch, the Shekinah. Three days they dedicate themselves unto the Lord. They sanctify themselves unto the Lord. They make a special emphasis upon the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua chapter number three mentions the Ark of the Covenant nine times. This Ark is symbolic of the presence of God with them. It has the mercy seat on top of them, on top of it. It has the Ten Commandments inside, Aaron's rod that budded, a pot of manna showing God's provision. It represents the gracious presence of God with the people, but because they were sinners, they could not get too close to it. This is the great promise that comes to us after Calvary. We are allowed to enter into his presence. More, we are allowed to become the temple of the Holy Ghost and host his presence in our life. And if you're not doing that, you'll, you are missing the greatest port, part and portion of what it means to walk with God, to host his presence in you. They consecrate themselves. They orient themselves to the Ark of the Covenant. They confess their sins. They rededicate themselves to God. What do you do when you're waiting? You find the presence of the Lord. You dedicate yourself to the call of God in your life. You you double down on making sure your flesh knows what it is you want from life. You're not just seeking your best life, my brother, my sister. You're not just seeking your best life. You are seeking a certain kind of best life. I don't just want blessing for the sake of blessing. Blessing can be a curse. I know lots of people, they could serve God as long as they were struggling. But as soon as they got blessed, that blessing turned into a curse. And soon they're like the fool who decides to take God's blessing and turn it to security when they could never make themselves secure. They always needed God to keep them. Your money cannot make you secure. I'm glad you got it. Your health insurance cannot make you healthy. I'm glad you've got it. What you need is the Shekinah glory of God. All right, so uh, now having not wasted the weight, they have spent that time dedicated unto the Lord. Uh, The Bible says that they went to cross the river, and here's the reality. 
The Jordan River normally is only about 100 feet wide. If you go to the Holy Land, as some of you have done, if you go to the Holy Land, you'll see that the Jordan River is not very impressive. It's not as impressive as the Catawba River that you drive over on a regular basis. The Catawba River is much more impressive than the Jordan River. Uh, Most places, it's not very deep, not very fast. It's like a desert river, if you can imagine such a strange oxymoron. Most of the year, it's only about 100 feet wide at the widest, and it's only 5 to 10 feet deep. But uh, during harvest season, that all changes, because during harvest, you have all of the watershed of the whole region, including the snow caps of Lebanon that are flowing down the backside of that mountain range into uh, the watershed of the Jordan River Valley. And this, in the harvest season, can be a very different a very different animal. Instead of just being five or 10 feet deep and 100 feet wide, it can, in some years, in some flood states, be almost a mile wide. And here's the thing. When it floods, it floods up over the thickets that normally would line it. So now, even when you're in the water, your barrier is not just the water. You have to get through all of the thickets that have grown on the sides of the water. And so uh, here is a note uh, for anyone wanting to cross the river in uh, this season of the year. Bad idea. Um, God, why would you ask us to cross it now? God begins most of his great works by asking us for something that to all intents and purposes seems impossible to us. It seems impossible to us. It's not just this story where this situation is is the case. You'll find again and again where God asks people to do something that there's no way they can feel good about this. Let me let me remind you of this one. Jesus says to his disciples, greater works than my works shall you do. So here's no pressure. You go be more powerful than Jesus. <laughs> Here, here's no pressure, right? I want to quit before I even tried because here's Jesus telling the disciples, look, this is nothing greater works than this shall you do. And you're like, uh, bathroom break. I, I, I won't come back on the flip side. Uh, <laughs> God starts the work by asking us for the miraculous, the impossible. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 16, I believe it is, or 14, uh, 14 verse 16, he sees the 5,000 hungry people and he says to his disciples this, give them something to eat. Can you imagine the Lord saying there's 5,000 people out there, you don't even have your own stuff to eat. And the Lord says, hey, I have an idea, go feed these people. And you're like... What am I, the food bank? I mean, did I suddenly overnight become Samaritan's Purse? I mean, I, 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 I don't, I, what do you mean feed people? God will start by asking you to do the impossible. Don't be intimidated by the impossible. Here is our impossible. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Excuse me? Me? Is there anybody else you're talking to? I know you're not talking to me. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. How about this? Reach the city for me. You, me? You want me to reach the city? Well, I have like 15 people that like my stuff on Facebook. I might could reach them. God will start by asking you to do something impossible. 
reach your family. Lord, do you know my family? Because if you knew them like I knew them, I... So the Lord says this to the, 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 the men carrying the ark. He says, go tell them to stand in the water, in the river. Now, Lord, you want us to take the ark that people can't even touch. And you want us to go stand in the river. And the Lord doesn't explain himself. I want you to see this. The Lord doesn't explain himself. The Lord does not care that you stumble over the impossible. You have to believe as though God's going to show up. Because the miracle is not going to beg you. The miracle's not going to plead with y'all. Please just keep your feet up. No, go stand in the river. And here's what happened. When the priests go get their feet in the water, a miracle happens upstream. And the Bible says that the water begins to pile up in a heap. 17 miles north at a little town called Adam, the water begins to pile up there. And it, as the priests stand there with just their feet in the water, the miracle has already happened. It's just happened upstream. Oh, if I was a good preacher, I would preach on this for a little while. So many times I've put my feet in the water and I didn't know that 17 miles upstream, God was already working. Don't be discouraged because your feet sweat. Just stand right there in the river. I thought that was good. I'm sorry. uh, That just speaks to my spirit. Don't be discouraged. Let me tell you another story. Remember when Moses stretched his, his rod over the Red Sea? If you think it happened in a moment, you would be mistaken. The Bible tells us how it happened. The Bible says all night long, the wind blew. God knows how to send a windstorm. That, that's all I have to say. All night long. The, while you were complaining about flapping tents, God was making a way for you. While you were repegging down the cords of your tent, God was blowing a way for you to escape. All night long, the wind blew. How many times, my brother and sister, have we stood in the water holding the Shekinah glory of God on our shoulder, feeling sorry for ourselves because our feet was wet? 17 miles upriver, the water is piling up in a heap, and what you're living through is the remnants of your trouble. The work has already been done. I want to speak the promise of God. Some of the things you're allowing to discourage you have already been taken care of. The miracle just happened upstream. The miracle just happened upstream. I don't know when and I don't know how. I'm not upstream. I'm in the here and now. But God, I believe you're already showing up on my behalf. God, am I preaching to anybody here today? God, I believe you're already showing up on my behalf. I believe you are already manifesting your power. Praise God. The water from upstream, verse 16, stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of uh, Verethan. While the water was flowing down to the Sea of uh, Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, that sea was completely shut off as though God turned off a spigot. And the whole nation, over a million people, crossed on dry ground. Musicians, come, I'm almost done. Until the last person had crossed. 
And when they came out of the river, let me read Joshua chapter number four, verses 17 and 18. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. They've been standing right there, stopping the waters. The waters have been held back. Joseph says, excuse me, Joshua says, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Watch what the Bible says. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. The miracle lasted as long it was as it was needed. Amen. Got any got any rivers you need to cross today? Am I preaching to anybody who has some Jordan rivers in their life? And you think to yourself, I need the promise that's on the other side of this Jordan River right here. How many of you are, you feel like you're stuck. You're stuck in this junk. You're stuck in this mess. And you say within yourself, I need, oh, am I preaching to anybody here today? I need the promise on the other side of the Jordan River. There's a promised land. God said, wherever I set my feet, he would give it to me. I can't claim the promised land on this side of my drama I need to get to the other side of the drama stand with me all across the house I'm believing today in Jesus name that we could step over some things that have served as barriers to us I'm so tired of certain barriers in uh, my life in ministry, and I know you feel the same way. It seems like the same barriers are working. You know what I want to do today? I want to pray that God would help us progress in a spiritual way. What's the difference in progressing spiritually and progressing carnally? Let me remind you, carnal is like this, ready, set, Spirituals like this, wait, trust, go. Wait. What do we do when we wait? Well, first of all, we don't waste the wait. We reconsecrate ourselves to God. We order our houses. We decide what is not beneficial. And we say to ourselves, I'm leaving that attitude on this side of the river. I'm leaving that fear on this side of the river. I'm leaving that pain on this side of the river. But let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm crossing over. Anybody have anything they want to leave on the wrong side of Jordan? Just pile it on the bank of the berry in your life and say, Lord, with your help, I'm leaving that right here. I'm trusting you. I'm going to the other side. How many of you feel like you're facing a barrier in your life and you want to get to the other side of that barrier and possess God's promise? Raise your hand all across the house. We're a church we deeply believe in. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.